0: some visitors here this morning, so so welcome. Uh, we hope that uh, you 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 feel uh, from the bottom of our hearts a welcome uh, this morning to you, and uh, thank you for joining us this Christmas season. I had another song also in my in my head today as I was waking up, and uh, I don't know. Sometimes when I'm about to preach, I get very pensive that the things that we are you know weighty on our spirit and. Just praying about some of you this morning, and considering, you know, looking back at where we've been this year, and where some of you guys have been. Not that you've gone through any super trial, but I know uh, some of you guys come to the end of this year struggling in your faith, struggling, um, and just having a zeal for Christ and a and 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 love of God being diminished in your heart and. As I was praying this morning, the the, a hymn came into my mind. I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray and find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. And as I look at some of you guys, as I look out today at the end of 2017, I know you guys have shared some of you guys struggling in the faith, as I said, weak and weary. And it makes me wonder at times, as I know you have wondered at times, is Christ enough? Is Christ enough? Is Christ enough to save us? Is Christ enough to free us? Is Christ enough to deal with our sins? Is Christ enough to satisfy God's justice? Is Christ enough? Is is Christ enough when you've let down your spouse for every day? Is, is Christ enough when you've failed your kids again? Is Christ enough when you've lost your temper and you know you've lost your temper again and you know it's not the first time and it won't be the last time that you've lost your temper? Is Christ enough when you get that bad report at work? Is Christ enough when you close the computer browser after your eyes have failed again? Is Christ enough? enough against lust is Christ enough against weariness is Christ enough when you're just so tired that you feel you can't go on is Christ enough when you've been hurt and you don't know if you can forgive is Christ enough we go into this Christmas season and we celebrate the birth of this child who's born and yet doubts arise in our heart what difference can this child make even though we know he is the Christ, is Christ enough? And, and sometimes the church, we don't help. Like sometimes we proclaim that Christ is enough, but yet we set up structure and we create a culture which is more focused on your performances and our pursuits and our perfections rather than on Christ and whether he is enough. And I know, it's been a, you know, listen, like, for some of us, it was hard moving this year. There are so many meetings, so much work to be done that does not like focus on just Christ alone but on this like let's think about this building and the move of our church and i know i felt it weary tired sometimes coming to church and leaving church more burdened more exasperated more tired than when we came Sometimes you come to church and you leave more weary. Sometimes you come to church and you feel more condemned. And we build at times a church culture in which the work we do for God or the work that we feel we should do for God or the work that we feel we should and ought to be doing for God so eclipses the work that Christ has done for us. And although we practically proclaim that we are saved, that we are freed, that we are bought, that we've been purchased, that we have been brought into this amazing reality of in Christ alone, but we so obscure it and so eclipse it that the focus is on us and our performance, and we begin to form the secret conviction, although we're good Christians, right, so we would never say it out loud. But we begin to form in the heart the secret conviction, or the secret question, is Christ enough? As we've been going through this fall, um, this sermon series we've been doing by by kind of uncovering and going back over some of these uh, foundational truths of the Reformation. And as I've been going through and kind of reading about these five solos of the Reformation, to God's glory alone, By grace alone, through faith alone, next week uh, found in the scriptures alone, but but this week in Christ alone. As as I've been studying these five truths that the Reformation so powerfully uh, unveiled and uncovered and, and rediscovered for us, I actually honestly thought that this in Christ alone sermon would be the one at which where if i'm studying that period of history the reformation i'm like well yeah of course everybody everybody's always proclaimed the church has always proclaimed Christ Christ Jesus Christ he's son of god son of man savior of the world the church has always proclaimed that he is the one mediator the church has always proclaimed that salvation is only found in Christ And yet, actually, I've been kind of doing, like, I don't know if you guys saw the movie or or read the book, The Case for Christ, where, you know, he goes on that kind of exploration. And that's kind of what I've been doing. I've been reading a lot of books about the Reformation. And then I've been meeting with my friend Matt, who's a Catholic priest, and kind of, like, bouncing some ideas off of him and um, having three-hour lunches with him where I'm just like, what are you guys believing? And, you know, all that type of thing and just trying to, to figure it out. This issue of... We are saved on the basis of Christ alone has actually become, I I think, perhaps one of the most important rediscoveries in this time. It's actually where the sticking point, I've seen that most of the the sticking point is, and the more I study the Reformation and understand the practice and theology of the Catholic Church of that day and, and even of this day, the more I'm convinced that today in Christ alone, this is the truth that needs to be not only understood, but embraced and set in our hearts at the deepest convictional level, that our salvation is found in Christ alone, that there's rest for our souls, because Jesus paid it all, because he is enough. Oops. Sorry, Nathan. Nathan. I'm just going to have to do the, press the forward arrow. There we go. So is salvation on account of Christ alone? And to understand a little bit about how this issue is framed and the danger it's framed to us today, it helps to little understand how is being framed this issue at the time of the Reformation. So it's helpful to understand a little bit about what the church was teaching at that time about the nature of salvation. The the idea was... The teaching was that Christ's sacrifice, his work, his life, and his death, and his resurrection and his ascension—that work of Christ, his whole life work—that that sometimes we, we call that, or what it was called that, the merits of Christ. What you know, we just talked about the sufficient merit, the merit of Christ, the work of Christ was enough to bring us into a state of grace. And to deal with the eternal guilt of our sin. So the work of Christ was enough to forgive us in our baptism. Our faith is how it was framed. And it was enough to forgive us and bring us into a state of grace. But the question was, what happens if you sin? What happens if you fall after, fall into sin after you've been into that state of grace? And so in order, the idea was that in order to stay in that state of grace and be fitted for heaven... We needed to purify ourselves through this system that had been built up. And the system that had been built up was a system of going and making a confession to the priest, him hearing your confession and him absolving you of your sin and telling you you're forgiven and then telling you to go and to make penance, which might be, for example, saying certain prayers certain numbers of times. It might be, for example, making an offering or a gift to the church. It might be, for example, um, uh, taking the Mass a certain amount of times. And and the idea was that we, we need, Christ. Christ was enough to get us into that state of grace initially, but that we need to, to, to any time we fall from that state of grace through our sin, we need to get back into it through our penance, through the things that we would do. And if you were to die before making your confession, well, obviously you couldn't go into heaven yet because you haven't been perfectly purged. You weren't able to do confession or penance before you died. So if you died in that state, you'd go to a place called purgatory and where you would either be purged by fire Or by other people storing up their own good works of merits on your behalf. So maybe before you died you you gave money in your will. You left money in your will to a priest. And he would go on saying Masses for you on your behalf after you died. And that could lessen your time. Or maybe you've told some of your family and your friend after you died. You're on your deathbed and you said, pray for me. Right? And so they could go on praying for you. And that would lessen your time. Or, Or you could... Um, or just the church, other people doing things on be- your behalf, doing good works on your behalf, they would get like these slips of paper, gold stars given to them, issued to them through the church, indulgences saying, yes, you did something good and now your relatives will have their time lessened in purgatory. And that was this whole system that was been set up and the entire system had been mediated. That entire system and structure of how to get back into that state of grace and how, to, how to, to build up your own credit, to build up your own merit, and to build up the merit of the church so that it could be applied to other people. That whole entire system was mediated through the priesthood of the church. The priests would hear your confession. The priests would absolve you or remit your sins. The priests would write that certificate of those indulgences, those gold stars that they would get. The priests would gladly take your donations and your offerings so that they'd say, ah, good job, I'll write you a certificate of these good things you've done. It was even said, and still is said, that when the priests performed the Eucharist, what we refer to as the Lord's Supper, the priests would would, would actually become in the person of Christ offering up, again, the body and blood of Christ. That the offering was, was some sort of re-performing uh, of the sacrifice of Jesus. And so the church performs works in order to get us into those state of grace and to fit us for heaven. And the practical outcome of the system was That although Christ is acknowledged as the Savior, as Christ was acknowledged as the mediator, the focus of the life of the church was directed toward our own work. So so imagine yourself growing up in that system. You only understand that, well, maybe Jesus did something that was applied to me in my baptism, but the rest of my entire life, was in this system of of going, receiving absolution for what I do, of doing penance, of saying my prayers, of hoping to accumulate these good works so that my time and the time of my friends and family, our time in purgatory would be lessened so maybe we'd be purified and purged enough to get into heaven. And you can see... How the practical outcome was that the, all the church was acknowledged as Savior. The focus of the life of the church is directed toward our own works mediated through the priests. And the people were kept in bondage even as the church grew rich in corruption. And so now you can see, I just, wanted, I just painted that picture for you. So you can see how revolutionary was this truth of in Christ alone. Man, I can't preach this sermon without just going into that song. And I know I saw some of you guys already doing. Every time I say in Christ alone, you're always like, my hope is found. I I can see that in you. And that's a good, good thing how the the music and the songs of the church drive these truths home into our spirit and into our head. Because, man, every time I say in Christ alone, I see some of you going, my hope is found. And it's great. And that's wonderful because that's what the church is to do is to set that truth on a platter for us to enliven and and bring joy to our hearts around these truths. But why is this so revolutionary? They they were wrestling with the corruption that they saw in the church. I mean, any time you would have an organization, institution, putting yourself in the place of God as mediator, it is only a step away from corruption and abusing that power you would have over the people for your own benefit. And this is what they were doing. They were forbidding the reading of the scriptures. They forbade to death the printing of the scriptures in people's own language to keep the truth of God's word out of the hands of the people. They, I didn't even realize this until I studied it. They believed that because they believed that the bread and the wine had become actually the body and blood of Jesus and that the lay people, you all, could not be trusted to not spill it they had actually kept, when they did the Lord's Supper, they would take the wafer or the, the the bread and they would put it on the person's tongue, so not even a crumb would fall. But they would not even give the cup of the Lord to the people. And in fact, they only started re-giving the cup of the Lord to the people in 1960s. And I was I was dumbfounded by this. And so ba- so Martin Luther wrote a paper called the the Babylonian Captivity of the Church, of all the different ways the church had been had tied up. Worship of God and put themselves into that mediatorial state. Standing between the people and God. And so this was quite a revolutionary idea. This idea of in Christ alone. They began to despise all the practices that set the focus of the Christian life on our miserable performance rather than on the joyful proclamation of Christ's work so here's the big point today, sorry Nathan, that Christ is the sufficient Savior and he is our exclusive mediator. That's what, it, that's, if we could unpack what it means in Christ alone, that's what we're talking about. He is our sufficient Savior, he's our exclusive mediator. What does that mean? Sufficient, there we go. <laughs> Sufficiency means, when we say He's our sufficient Savior, we mean that the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is entirely in itself all that is necessary to right our relationship with God, to satisfy the justice of God, and to secure eternal life on our behalf. That's what we proclaim when we proclaim in Christ alone, that Jesus paid it all, all to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain and He washed it, White as snow, he has paid it all. His death, life, resurrection was sufficient to right our relationship with God, satisfy the justice of God, God's anger and wrath towards sin and secure eternal life on our behalf. They also proclaim that Christ was the exclusive Savior. Exclusive means that a right standing with God, the satisfaction of God's justice, the hope of eternal life, are only found, are found in Christ alone, that he is the only mediator, that no one stands between us and God other than Christ himself, the God-man. That he is the perfect mediator because there's no other being who has both joined himself to our nature as human beings and thus could stand as our representative and could 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 have and possess the perfections of God himself so that that Jesus being fully God, fully man, could be our perfect mediator between us and God. And he's the only candidate, he's the only one who could or ever could do this. And so that's the good news that we proclaim when we proclaim Christ alone. This is not something that's academic. This is something that is good news of hope for each and every one of you. That there is a God who loves you. That there is a God who created you, who formed you, who knows you, and who loves you, and he, he, he formed you for his purposes. And he did not allow our sin to separate us from him forever, but he sent his own son to us to proclaim salvation to us, to proclaim the good news, to do good works among us, to prove and demonstrate that he was who he said he was, God himself. He came and he laid his own life down for us. He he was obedient to God, even unto death, even to death on a cross. And he died died a, a death that he should not have died in our place, on our behalf. And he was raised again from the dead to show us that he had victory and authority to proclaim that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins in his name. And that's it. And that's what he's done. And that's good news because he did it. It's not, it's not us groveling to God, hoping that maybe I can do better next week. It's that he has done it. And that's what was proclaimed. Now there's many places in Scripture which we could, return, we could turn, and, and the Reformers love the books of Romans and Galatians particularly, but I don't think there's any Scripture that so sets forth the sufficiency and exclusivity of the work of Christ as the book of Hebrews. And maybe it's because we just spent like a year going through the book of Hebrews a few years ago. It's still kind of one of those books where I'm like, man, that was awesome just going through that. Um, But it's the entire... you, You can find places in the New Testament that talk about the sufficiency of Christ's work and the exclusivity of his role of mediator. But it's what the entire book of Hebrews is about. It's like if you miss it, you've missed the point of the entire book of Hebrews. That Christ has done all that is necessary, not only to save us eternally, but to purify us completely, and that he's the sole mediator. So, so we went through the whole book of Hebrews, but if you turn with me in, in your scriptures to Hebrews chapter 9. And I'm not going to do much preaching, I'm just going to kind of read today. But Hebrews chapter 9, starting in verse 11 is where we get this great picture starting of of the sufficiency and the exclusivity of Christ. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11 says, When Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once and for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood and goats of calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Remember, the, if you weren't here when we went through Hebrews, let me kind of explain a little bit. If you remember, the, the argument of the book of Hebrews, Hebrews, Hebrews. So, so, so this is a sermon written to Jewish people who had been used to, in that time, worshiping God in the temple. Now under that system... The Jewish people themselves couldn't approach God. They needed mediators, representatives for them to stand in the gap between God and them. And God had set up the Levitical priesthood, the Jewish priesthood, to to stand between God and the people. And they would go and the the priest would go into the temple on the people's behalf, making offerings, sacrifices for the people's sins. And that's how the people would, would approach their God. But the high priest of Israel would go in one time a year, and, and he could only do it one time in his life, and he would approach the most holy place in the temple, God's throne, the, the place that signified God's throne itself. And he would go and he would make offering for the sins of all the people, and he would go in and make atonement. It was called the Day of Atonement. They still celebrate, Jewish people still celebrate this today, the Day of Atonement. And he would, he would make an offering and a sacrifice for the sins on behalf of all the people. And what the book of Hebrews says, what the book of Hebrews teaches and explains is that the Old Testament spoke of a time when God would make a new covenant with the people and that, that these, these practices and these things would would, would change and even be... Be, be be brought into complete fulfillment because they were anticipatory it was an anticipatory system that someday Messiah will come and he will change by his very being the nature of that relationship between man and God and so that's what the book of Hebrews has proclaimed that Jesus Christ when he came and when he when he when he offered himself in his death he was offering as a high priest a new and greater, sacrifice. And as he was doing this, he, he did this not into a temple, which is just this, this carbon copy kind of construction. He actually ascended into God's presence himself. To, to the right hand of God he was seated and, and he went into God's throne room in heaven and presented himself as a pure and spotless offering to God. And so the book of Hebrews is, is teaching here that the sacrifice of Christ was greater than all those anticipatory sacrifices and that the sacrifice of Christ fulfilled them and, and it has now has even eclipsed them. And so that's what it's speaking of. When Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have, that have come into the greater and more perfect tent, not of this creation, but into the holy places, God's own throne room, not by means of blood and goats, but by means of his blood, own blood, he secured an eternal redemption. Hebrews goes on to say, verse 13, we'll just keep on reading. For if the blood of goats and bulls through the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, how much more will he purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? The argument here was if the work of those lesser priests bringing their offerings to God, if they made some sort of satisfaction for sin, all those works and all those offerings that all those priests brought, they did something, how much more, they did something to purify, it says, to purify the flesh, how much more Christ offering his sacrifice, his perfection, how much more will he sanctify for all time, perfect for all time those who are sanctified through him. The, the, the offering of Christ is the perfect offering made by a perfect priest able to completely purify us. He goes on to speak about how this priest how this offering was um, how it was unique in that it was only done one time. Jesus did this and he sat down and his work was finished. He didn't, he didn't have to go like a priest daily here. We'll read in, in uh, chapter 10 verse 11. It says, and every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. The the author of Hebrews makes this big point that once Jesus' work as high priest offering himself on the cross, rising from the dead and ascending to heaven, he makes a big point of this idea that Jesus actually sat down at the right hand of God because it had been completely finished. His work had been completely sufficient to do what it needed to do which is to make a sacrifice covering for our sin and bring us into the presence of God. He's done. Some of you guys, I remember I, I listened to um, one of my favorite uh, songwriters, his name is Rich Mullins, and I was listening to a concert by him one day, and he was talking about how Jesus often, when he taught, he, he sat down, like on the Sermon on the Mount, it says he went up and sat down, and uh, Rich Mullins just made this quip, and he had this way among them, and he said, aren't you glad when your preacher preaches, he preaches standing up? and he waits for the audience to kind of chuckle like that and he says i'm so glad my preacher preaches standing up cuz i know that at some point he'll just get tired and he'll have to sit down and then we'll be done right and that's <laughs> and that's a little bit about this this idea that when when christ sat down his work his work was done it it was completed it it was it was finished no other work could add to it 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 can't be repeated the the, the point is that The priests of the Levitical system they they did this all the time they continually had to do this they continually made these sacrifices over and over and over and over and over again and it was never completed it was never done because it was never sufficient but Christ came once he died once he made a sacrifice once and said that's it I'm done it's over it doesn't need to be repeated. It's, it's truly all-sufficient not only to save and to purify, but to perfect for all time those who are being sanctified. We are, we are perfected by the work and the offering of Christ, and therefore we approach God freely through his work alone. And this is the good news. Like This is the good news for each one of us, that if you come to church and you leave church and you find you were more weary leaving than you were coming, then this is good news for you. That, that because of Jesus' work and that he sat down, you can sit down and you can hear and you can rest in and you can rejoice in the work that Jesus has done on your behalf because it is finished. Hebrews goes on to speak only a few more verses to speak about this, this access now we have to the Father that because Christ, our meteor, has simply opened up this new way, and we simply follow him in. Therefore, brothers, in Hebrews 10, 19, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water the simplicity of the proclamation in the book of hebrews and of the gospel of christ is that jesus has paid it all jesus has made that sufficient sacrifice on our behalf Jesus, our mediator and our high priest, has opened up a new way to God whereby we just simply enter in to his presence. There's, there's no other media, there's no other go-between between us. The curtain has been, has been torn in two and we, we enter into God's presence. Like how amazing is that? For, for churches that we, we construct these systems, but like nooses around our necks, saying, saying, You got to perform, you got to perform, you got to perform, you got to perfect, you got to perfect, you got to perfect. What we're called to do as churches is to proclaim, is to proclaim that this new and greater and only way has been brought and ripped open for us through the work of Christ, so we can literally go and bask in God's presence. What an amazing reality that is. We, we, come given full, we come near to God in full assurance of faith. I'm going to push a little bit more. Does that mean there's no role for the church? Well, no, there's a role for the church. He goes on to say in the same passage, just, just as he keeps on going, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. This, this let us stuff in this passage is the work of the church. Let us hold fast to our confession. Meaning, our confession is this. What do we confess? We confess that Christ has entered in. We confess that he is the sole mediator. We confess that the work has been done and we hold fast to that confession. And so we do not come to church to perform our salvation. We come to church to proclaim God's salvation. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us, here again in church, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. I love that idea of stirring it up. It's not the idea of holding it over your head. It's the idea of Christ has entered in. Let's go, guys. Consider how to stir one another on to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, for the reason of what? So we can say, oh, you did your Mass and you took part in the communion and you, in the Eucharist and you checked off these boxes and we give you gold stars because you showed up at church. No. Because that's what we do as Christians when we gather, we meet together to encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. See, See, Christ's mediatory work as high priest has changed everything about what it is that we do as the community of God. We're not a community of people that need priests standing between us and God, and we don't come forward on our knees crawling up the stairs. We don't come forward saying, oh, I need this absolution. We come directly to God through Jesus Christ. And in coming to God directly through Jesus Christ, we enter into his presence and we encourage those around us, hey guys, there's a party here. God's glorious grace. Let's celebrate this together. We don't, we, we. Man, if, you, if you've got a friend. You know, Nathan, where's Nathan? You had an awesome party on Friday night, I hear. Nathan's like, yeah. But his friends who he invited, they they went, not because, oh, I'm going to earn merit with Nathan. (laughs) Well, well, Hannah did. (laughs) You go because this new and living way has been opened to you through this invitation. And you gather together there. And then when you're there, you go, how do, we, how do we do this? How do we now live this life of Christ through us? How do we stir each other up to live out the same love that he had for us? The, the, what we do when we gather together, why we are here, is not to perform the work of God, but to proclaim the work of God. It's what we do when we sing. When we're singing. Yes, we're bringing a sacrifice of praise, but that's not performing salvation. It's, it's proclaiming the good news of salvation. It's, it's singing, in Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song, my cornerstone. We're proclaiming to God and to one another that we have found salvation in Christ alone. When we're doing the Lord's Supper, I'm not doing this as a priest offering a sacrifice up to God. What we're doing here is we're proclaiming once again to all who are gathered the work of Christ that he has done on behalf of sinful people like us. And all we bring to the Lord's Supper and to the celebration when we're gathered is our faith alone, this empty hand saying, yes, 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 again I turn to you, Jesus. Now I'll I'll speak a word on confession. Because somebody asked me over the last couple of weeks, well, if that's true, if all of our sins are forgiven in Christ, right, like if Christ's work has been applied to our account, if Christ's righteousness has been imputed to us, if if we stand completely forgiven and freed at the foot of the cross, well, then why are we told in the New Testament to confess our sins? that's, That's actually the question that caused this whole structure to be built up. What do we do when we sin as a Christian? Does that mean we're in danger of losing that that, that, that that standing before God? Does that mean that as a Christian, if we sin, we are in danger of falling into a state of disrepair and falling from that level of grace? Does it mean that when we sin as a Christian, God's vengeance and his wrath again is turned toward us and away from Christ? Well, that's not what the picture is. The picture is that we have come to Christ. There's a couple... couple things I'd say. First is that there is a repentance. There's a confession that occurs when a sinner sees the holiness of God, turns from death to life in Christ, right? Like if you're here today and you have not yet known Christ and you're hearing me proclaim these things and I pray the Spirit of God will be speaking to your heart, showing you what we, the rest of us, have already known. That, that there is no hope for us in front of a holy God because of the total everything of our sin that we cannot earn it we've tried to like spotless and shine ourselves up and you cannot do it and at some point this confession of repentance comes over and you realize I cannot do it I need a savior I need Christ and you get down on you know you get down and you say God, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Because you know, you've now known there's nothing good in you that could earn or merit your salvation, and you now understood that all our hope is found in the work of Christ. And at that point, there is a confession, there is a repentance that, that would bring from death to life, not on the nature of the repentance, but on the nature of Christ's work being applied as you have been given faith to see him. But for a Christian, that's not what we're at. When, when you're a Christian, when you, when you have done that, when, when Christ has forgiven you, he, it, it says in John 1, to as many as received him, who believed in his name, he, they're given the right to become children of God. John goes on to say in his epistle, behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. And so the book of Hebrews speaks that, yes, when we sin, there is a discipline that may come upon us, but it's the discipline not of a judge's wrath upon sin, but the discipline of a father correcting a child. When we sin as Christians, yes, our sin has already been judiciously uh, pardoned by the work of Christ. But when we sin as Christians, we we come into relational despair. David speaks about when he sinned, he lost the joy of his salvation. You guys understand what that feels like, you know. You once walked so close with Christ and and now you have done something and your hands have been soiled and you're saying, oh, how could I have done this? And you, you lose the joy of your salvation as you, as you come to back to God through confession and repentance. You, you pray as David prayed, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. The, the, we, when we sin as Christians, we, we sin as children of God. And, and, and there's a relational consequence to that sin, not a judicial consequence to that sin. And so I'd encourage you today that that if if that is what you're feeling and expressing, then, then yes, confess your sin. Number one, you can go right and directly to God's throne room. He says Christ has opened up a new and living way and we can boldly approach the throne of grace with confidence. So come into the presence of God confessing your sin daily. What the reformers would do is they would take the Ten Commandments and they would just meditate on the Ten Commandments and pray on the Ten Commandments and and come into God's presence saying, yes God, I have put other gods before you. I have taken your name in vain. I have committed murder in my heart. I have called my brother a fool. I have committed lust. I have looked on a woman in, in lust. I have slandered and lied and cheated and Come in confession daily before the throne of grace. Knowing that the work has been sufficiently paid for in the sacrifice of Christ. So that is what we proclaim as the church. We do two things as we gather together as the church. First is that we, and I've said this a number of times, we proclaim the work of Christ. We do not Perform the work of Christ. Man, isn't that so much of a, a greater commission? Can you imagine if the great commission was go into all this world and perform that work? No. Jesus said to us, you will be my witnesses. So we proclaim, in Christ alone my help is found. He's my light, my strength, my song. Secondly, we gather we gather to encourage one another in Christ. For as immediately as we are instructed to follow Christ in, then we're directed to stir up love in the church by meeting with one another, encouraging one another, and pointing one another to the finished work of Christ and proclaiming the gospel to one another, continually encouraging us all to enter in. But note that ministry of encouragement starts from a place a position of access to God through the sufficient and exclusive work of Christ. I mean, aren't you glad it's Christmas? I am. I have felt this year that I have needed something to take my life, take my eyes off of myself, my own performance, to take my eyes off of this ever-darkening world, and I have needed at this time in this Christmas season to again point and focus and direct my focus once again to the Savior, the Son this Messiah who has come. Our sufficient Savior, he's done everything necessary for sinners to be saved, for people like me to be purified and purged before our God, and our, our only and exclusive mediator, that he has come. The shepherds sang about him, the wise men came from afar to see him, and we now as the church gather to proclaim his name through this season and i encourage you as you go out into this season people people know this world has been darkening by the day go out and proclaim the salvation the hope and the love you have found in christ alone heavenly father we thank you so much for this day we thank you so much for your work I pray, God, for all who are weary, who are here gathered. I pray for all who are here and their focus has been on themselves, their focus has been on their sin, their focus has been on uh, the burdens that they carry. I pray that today, even now, we may boldly enter into, the pre- into your presence through the new and living way that Christ our High Priest has opened. I pray that we might just praise you, just sing, and just bask in your goodness that it's not about the work that we have done. It's by your grace alone. It's not about us trying to earn your favor. It's by receiving your love and your grace through faith alone. And it's not about us contributing to our salvation. Although we, we do, we do work it out, God, because it's you who work in us, but, but it's on the basis of everything that Christ alone has done. Lord, we give you thanks and praise. And I really believe, God, that this is the only place from which I could praise you. From any other position or posture, I'd be praising myself and my goodness and my deeds. But God, I thank you for showing grace and mercy to sinners like us, that we can come and rejoice and exult in you. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. In Christ alone, our hope is found. We are going to turn our eyes our hearts, and our voices to him. And so this is our time of response, our time of response, a a number of ways that you can respond. You can enter into the presence of God at any moment because Jesus Christ, our great high priest, has entered in. And so you may want to just let that sink in for a moment. You may just want to pray where you're at. You may just want to say, thank you, Jesus, right where you're at. And so take time, even while we're singing, to praise to praise him and to pray. Uh, secondly, we are going to sing, right? So we're going to sing. We're going to get some of these, these words and this, these truths into our heart as we sing them to God and sing them to one another. So sing out. It's an amazing thing that we can continue. I'm going to be done preaching here in like one second, and you guys get to preach and proclaim to each other the goodness of our God as you sing out. So sing out. Thirdly, what we'll be doing uh, as, a, as, a, as we're going through uh, this time, about through the second song, I'm going to start passing out the Lord's Supper. And again, we don't do this to perform the work of Christ. We do this to proclaim the work of Christ. But Christ is here present it with us, proclaiming his own salvation to us. And so, so we'll be going around, and if, if you're here today and you know Jesus Christ as your Lord, if you've professed him publicly through your baptism, then take once again, by faith, just take a cracker, take the cup, and say, thank you, Jesus, for your salvation. If you're here today and you don't yet know Jesus, then then just pass it by and pray. And, and we'd love you to talk to one of us after the service to know how you can, can know this love of God, which is in Christ. How you can approach God by faith on account of what he has done. And so we'll, I'll be passing that out as we go through, but... But please let's let's sing out and praise God for his awesome work.